Welcome to the Midman Podcast, a podcast focused on helping you level up your practice. I'm Jesse Arnoldson. And I'm Jay Holmes. Through interviews with some of the most successful leaders in the industry, we help uncover resources, tools, and ideas to help you level up. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's program. Hey, everyone. Jesse here with the Midman Podcast. Today, we are joined by Josh Thompson. He's a clinical assistant professor in the College of Business at Idaho State University, where he teaches in the healthcare administration program. Josh comes from a diverse background. Not only does he bring the background of a practice administrator from his time in an urgent care setting, but he also holds insight from the settings of the hospital, skilled nursing facilities, and now, of course, academia. Josh, welcome to the show. We're glad you could join us today. Hey, Jesse. Thanks for having me. This is great. No, it's pleasure's all mine. Love I love you guys are doing this for everybody. Yeah, no, of course. Josh, I, I'm excited to have you on the show because uh, our audience uh, is full of practice administrators. That's who it's meant for. And that's why we interview and talk with other practice administrators because we, we want the application to be, you know, really solid there. But it, it's neat to speak with you because you, although you are a practice administrator, you also bring insight from different backgrounds, like we said in the intro, from hospitals, skilled nursing facility, academia, but all related to healthcare, right? So I, I you know, to start things off, let me know what actually got you into healthcare in the first place. <laughs> well, the, the short version of that would be, uh, my mother was a, was a licensed practical nurse, an LPN in a, in a nursing home uh, when I was really little. Uh, she put her way through school. And, and so I, I used to go in and volunteer. I learned how to play cribbage and chess in a, in a, in a nursing home. And so that, that was kind of what fed me into the, the healthcare field. When I graduated uh, Idaho State University with my master's degree, I actually went into to the science background. I actually went to work for building a, a manufacturing plant. And I had done that for about two years. And I had this yearning of wanting to get into healthcare because that's what I wanted to do. And I felt it was, it was something I wanted to do to take care of people. Something that was much more important than than building a, a plant that, that made a product as opposed to actually, uh, you know, a quality of care type of a setting. So right. that's it in a nutshell, really. Pretty simple. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. And then, you know, the reasons for getting into healthcare sometimes change uh, over time, you know, for the reasons to stay in healthcare. What what makes you do what you do now? Uh, it's funny that you asked that. I, I just got done in a meeting uh, with, a, with a large corporation uh, looking to partner with Idaho State University, and, and they asked me the same question. And this is going to sound a little bit uh, altruistic, if you will, but I found that my ability to help uh, have an impact on healthcare as a whole is a lot, I can reach a much wider base if I'm doing it from a teaching and an academic perspective, as opposed to uh, an individual and operating system perspective. What I mean by that is uh, I have 300, if I have 350 full-time employees, like my last, my last job, right. I can help make sure that I can put a roof over the heads and, and food on the plates of, of my staff. And I can make sure that the quality of care for the patients that I take care of is being, is, is meeting my standards. But all I'm doing is fixing my little world in that. Whereas in academia, for example, uh, we have 10 students that are graduating from the HA program this December because we do graduations both in the fall and in the spring. And these 10 students, let's say that they get to go out and manage 200 full-time employees each. Well, that's 2000 that they're working on as opposed to the 350 that I had. And if they can take upon a lot of things that we teach here at Iowa State, they're going to have a bigger impact on healthcare as a group as opposed to me as an individual. 
So the reason why I do what I do now is because I want to help change healthcare for the better. And the best way I can do it from a massive standpoint is, is through education, I think. Absolutely. It makes me think of Simon Sinek and his thoughts on, what is it, the infinite game. Have you ever listened to that? I haven't, actually. In fact, I'll, I'll... I've, I've, I've only listened to him briefly on your why. And I, right. I've never understood why that's such a big deal, not to be <laughs> rude, because I think he's great. But right. if you, it, I think it kind of makes sense that it's common sense to me that you need to have a why. And if you don't have it, maybe I'm built differently, but sure, I just sure. I listen to that and I think you don't get that already. If you don't have that, we have a bigger problem here. You need a book to teach you this. So I don't know right. if that's right. Sorry, but I no, no, I think it, I think it falls in the category of common sense is not always common practice. And so it, it's, it's interesting how many people don't get the purpose of a why, you know, as, as their main motivator. But Simon in, you know, and his thoughts on on the infinite game is, you know, moving more towards having a bigger impact, having a more altruistic impact, uh, more than, you know, having, touching the world in a way more than what you can do as an individual, but more, how can you do so through other people and, and not just being like the, the number one employer in the state, but rather touching lives and, and impacting real people. I can totally get behind that. Well, Josh, let me take you into, kind of the meat of the program that we'll start off with. What improvement have you made in your career or, or innovation that you've put in place that you're most proud of? You know, what, what have you done in your career that sticks out the most to you? Probably the biggest improvement or the, the one thing that I'm, I'm, I, I guess I'm most proud of uh, for something that I, that I did in my administrative field. I was working at a psychiatric hospital and a nursing home combined. It was the largest psychiatric nursing home in the state. I, I was hired to come in and, and, and fix quite a few things. They had some, some pretty major issues. My job was to come in and fix it. And I was directed by ownership before I was even brought in that I was to start looking at people to get rid of, to, to fire. What and a way to start, right? Yeah, yeah. It, was, uh, it, it wasn't something they wanted to hear. And I'm a pretty stubborn individual for, for, for the people who, who know me. And I didn't want to do that. And so I thought I can figure this out without having to fire a bunch of people. I truly believe that the job of an administrator is, you know, food on the plate and roof over the head of my staff. Because if I treat my staff correctly, they should be, if we hire correctly, then they should be doing the job that my expectations and the quality that's going to be provided. And (laughs) I didn't actually fire a single person. Really? Um, And the reason why that's such a big deal to me is this is a lot of staff who were CNAs and techs and, and medical techs and, uh, and psychiatric techs and, and just a lot of individuals who, who don't make a lot of money. And this is, you know, kind of a, a big job, a big career for them. Uh, <laughs> uh, just thinking about it, I'm as, just as you asked that question, I'm, I'm, I'm visualizing some of the faces of some of these staff who I was directed to let go. Uh, what we did instead is we, we institute a, a positive culture, a, a change of culture, if you will, uh, of the value of the employee, not of the business, but the value of an employee and trying to help them to understand how important and how vital they were, not just to our business, but also to caring for the individuals that we were taking care of. Because is it in most of healthcare, you're taking care of vulnerable populations. Even if it's somebody who's a, a mom that brings in their child, that's still a vulnerable population, in my opinion. Right. Because there's some there's some emotional attachments there of a mom being worried about their child crying. I've been in healthcare now for well a, a while, 
Jesse, you know, you, you, yeah. you know me, I've been in there for a while, but I have, I have two young children. I've got a, I've got a two year old and, and a 10 month old. And my wife still freaks out when my 10 month old has a cough and then I get nervous. And so there's an emotional attachment to being a vulnerable population. So to end that, that answer in a little bit of a briefly, my biggest improvement was culture change specifically to going against what the, the monetary demand was to fix something to try to, as opposed to finding the root of the problem and in turn turning a negative into a positive, basically. Right, right. Um, it had a massive impact on the business, um, honestly. To, from a, I know that these are all practice administrators and, and people who are talking, and so we'll talk a little bit from a number standpoint. Uh, in long-term care, you get paid heads and beds, a uh, patient per day. You get paid on a daily basis at midnight for people that are in there. Same with a psychiatric hospital. We averaged an ADC, an average daily census of less than one person per day in the hospital and 51 people in the, in the nursing home. And uh, in the year and a half that it took me to make some significant changes, uh, we went from a little over half a person per day to a thir- little over 13 in a 14-bed hospital. So wow. we were basically full all the time. And on the nursing home side, I was 100% full at 81. So those staff who had been through the rough times and the difficult pieces had already seen kind of the bottom of the barrel, the, the worst that it could be like. And as we grew and we expanded and we, we provided a better quality of care, we provided things that our local uh, community was willing to get behind and to, to provide us patients. Those staff that went through the hard times and were able to fit through that culture and, and stay through the changes and, and be excited about the changes were also a huge proponent in building the process even better and even bigger because they knew all the internal processes that were going on. Right. So as an administrator, one of the difficult, biggest difficulties that you have are finding good talent and keeping them. And one of the questions that you need to ask yourself as an administrator, are you providing them the tools, are you providing them the training to do their job appropriately? And my personal opinion, which is worth very little, uh, was that it was being done in a way that wasn't conducive to the current business as it stood when I got there. And by the changes that, that we were able to make as a team, that business thrived and in turn, so did the staff and then so did the ownership. So yeah, that, that would be my biggest improvement. It yeah. hit every requirement that you would need from a business perspective. But in my personal opinion, it took care of people and that's what we are supposed to do. That's fantastic. Can you share with me, Josh, and maybe some of the, the specifics of what, what were some of the specific things you did to turn the culture around? Uh, management by walking around, obviously, is the tried and true method. Uh, getting out of your office, getting away from spreadsheets and all those fun things that we get to do that we don't love right? Uh, would be, be by far the most important. Being seen, learning people's names, just treating them as human beings, just being kind. Uh, that's a big one. Uh, a lot of just fun things, doing fun things for staff, you know, bringing the barbecue and, and grilling burgers on a day, but being the one to grill it and putting a burger on everybody's plate and saying something to each person individually, taking the time to do that. One of the things that, that I do in every building that I go to, go to, in fact, I took this from a book and I can't remember the book, so don't copyright me, please, <laughs> um, is take from the new guy bucket. And we had this posted everywhere when I first got hired. And I had a, a bucket of candy in my room, in my office. And anytime any staff member wanted to come and ask me a question, as long as it wasn't impeding the quality of care that they needed to take care for their patients, they could come and talk to me and they could ask me any question. And as long as they came and they asked a question, they could have candy and they could sit there and ask me as many questions that they wanted for as much candy as they wanted. 
<laughs> and it's funny because it it was it started off really slow and people weren't weren't open to the idea because I, I think it was just a different world. People the the, the prior uh, CEO was uh, a little less candid, I think, a little a little less personable. And to speed up the process, so Jesse, I took this job in the middle of February and it's in mm-hmm. Idaho. And about two weeks into it, I'd only had a handful of people come in and I was not, it wasn't, the culture wasn't having any kind of a shift. You could tell when you walked down the hall, people saw you as the principal. I joke right. about this in my classes and I teach students when, when the boss walks down the hall, it's just like when you were a kid, when the principal walked down the hall, were you tardy for class or did you hurry up and run to class so the principal didn't see you or didn't come after you? You right. ran away. And so you needed to change that culture that when you walked down the hall, they saw, they wanted to see you and they wanted to spend time with you. So in, so remember, I, I took this in February. Right. It was a cold winter that year. And I rented a dunk tank and filled it full of water out of the hose on the side of the building. And we did a day to dunk the CEO. <laughs> and, and it cost you a dollar or you could buy 10 throws for five. And all that money went to just a, a, a party fund for everybody. Right. Jesse, I had lines. The owner came in and donated $200 to purposely be able to walk up and push the button because <laughs> she was afraid that she couldn't throw and hit it. And that changed overnight the way that people saw me, I think. And I know it's a little bit of a kind of a, a cheeky thing to do something like that. Right. But there was such a distrust, I think, uh, when I first started that these guys only care about money or that this is just another ownership crony or however you want to put it that there people feel like that there's there's this yeah. there's always a sense of, of mistrust that doing something absolutely silly like that made a significant change in the culture the other thing that i did and i try to teach all my students this as well uh, and i think every practice administrator should do this so you're gonna get yelled at for this by the way right, Jesse. Right. yeah is i think everybody should get their clinical license in something as well so in a nursing home, you need to be a CNA. You need to do something of, of a tech in some form. Go and be able to draw blood. Do something. That doesn't mean that you're going to be doing it all the time. And it's not conducive from a financial standpoint. And I understand that. Right. But I can tell you that in a nursing home or in, in a hospital setting, when you see Christmas trees going off, meaning the lights on the hall going off like crazy all the time and people needing help, I've got a set of scrubs in my office that always sat on the credenza behind it. They were folded and they were sitting there and ready. I could go throw those on and I could go take care and do things that you can do as a clinician that you can't otherwise. If you can't, if you can't get a clinician because you're you're doing something in a practice administrator role where it would take a significant amount of education to get that, you could there's still other things that you could do to go help your staff. Being seen on the floor and doing that work builds a culture of, you know, a service-led leadership, if you will. Right. And that those are the pieces from a culture standpoint that changed drastically. I think what benefited me is if you have somebody like me who is a little bit of a bull in a China shop at times, uh, caring about that, those being the most important pieces to me is making that change. You're really throwing it in the faces of all the staff. And if he's willing to do it, then, well, I better be willing to do it or I'm not going to last. And it changed. It changed. People held each other accountable. People took a little bit more pride. They wanted to be seen by the principal doing the right things. And so there's a huge onus on the administrator to to not just set the example from a verbal standpoint, but also be the example. I think that, you know, what I what I hear from you and what I've, you know, it matches my experience in the past of coming into an organization when they're just not at, at their their prime. You know, they, they have a long they have a big turnaround ahead of them and it's there's not a lot of trust and and 
you have to engage them and you have to gain their trust in order to make a difference in the organization. And, you know, just again, hearing your story and matching it against my experience, getting on their level, being accessible to them, serving them, right? Really showing them that you're committed to them and inviting them to then reciprocate. That's, there's no way to turn an organization like that around unless you have the people there with you engaged, right? I love that. That makes yeah, all the sense in the world to me. Which, which is funny because I do, uh, I, I, in the past and, and I still every once in a while get asked to do a little bit of healthcare consulting. And I don't care, Jesse, if it's in a critical access hospital where you're having to do a lot of different positions or in a dentist's office that's very defined as what you're doing in a very small, in a very small product. That culture of commitment by the hierarchy, if you will, mm-hmm. Is the same. It's the same in a in a single dentist office as it is in well, in my example setting, is the largest psychiatric slash hospital nursing home in the state with well over four hundred full time employees versus a twelve employee business. It the, the process is the same. the The secret. I got interviewed a week ago by actually by another podcast, and they asked me what my secret was to to why I've been so successful. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because. I steal a line from somebody else because I didn't know what it was. I was taught this. There's a gentleman named Marcus Lemonis and he teaches, you know, process, product, and people are the three most important things. And I think that as healthcare people, we forget that our product is customer service. Right. And it's customer service, not just with the patient, but also with our staff. And so, you know, people, process, product, our staff, the product that we're delivering, the quality of care that we're providing, all of that comes into play. And I'm a very regimented, very standardized person in the processes that I do in, in, in every place that I've been. My quality assurance programs, whether they were in a, a 55 bed nursing home, a psychiatric hospital, the veterans home that I ran, the, the two urgent cares, the, the outpatient mental health, all of those pieces that I've run in the past or been a part of, the quality assurance program was the same. It's different questions that we're asking, but I've, my process has always been the same. And in doing so, that continuity makes it easy for me to manage many more things at a much higher level because my staff also are trained on that same process. And so we speak the same language at the same time all the time. So then you have more trust that you can put into those people and delegation works. Right. You know, I, I in closing, Josh, just kind of thinking about a comment you made in the beginning about the finances really driving a lot of the the preliminary decisions made in the, you know, when you first came on or as you were first coming on. It isn't that you take your eye off the the bottom line, right? Your your the finances always have to be a part of it, but it it's actually a, a strategy. You know, you put people first in the and treat them how you should, do the right thing. The finances follow in most cases. Now, you know, you you still have to put in a lot of hard work. You have to be smart about your business. You have to do things right. But I I just don't see how the the dollars get in line unless you take care of your people first, right? At least not in the not to the level that that you saw at the hospital or that I've seen in my in in the clinics I've worked in, right? I, I love that you that you said that because to to I want to add one piece to that. A lot of the time in healthcare, a lot of your a lot of disciplines don't care about money. They're taught for in in their education to care about the patient. Don't think about the money, right? Nursing right. is very specific to that. And I'll tell you this is I think that we've done a disservice from a from a historical standpoint of having that assumption with everybody in healthcare that the care we don't need to worry about money. We absolutely need to worry about money. Um, I actually, (laughs) um, this is one thing that ownership always hated is I shared my financials every month with my staff. 
we'd have a staff meeting and every month they would actually see where we were at. And the purpose of that was to show them so that they could have some pride in the fact that we were either profitable or not. Because you can have that conversation with, you do understand that if we're not taking care of patients, then I don't have the ability to pay you. Like we got to have a good quality of care so that people will want to come here. And in turn, you have a job. And there's, that's, a, that's a poor way of explaining it. But being able to sit down and have that conversation with staff, they're educated. These, these are all adults and treat them as such. Don't, right. don't hide right. the financials from them. Put it in front of them. Yeah, I love it. Because what they don't understand, there's a lot of things that they're not going to understand in financials. And you can explain, this is our bottom line. Just so you're aware, our end of your taxes aren't in here. Just so you're aware, our unemployment taxes aren't. Whatever it is yeah. that you need, to, that you can add into it to show, listen, this may show that we made you know, $3 million last year. But in reality, the cost of our building is this. We're going to have to replace this, this, and this. This is our depreciation. Once you start talking like that, they're going to they're gonna be quiet. And then you just say, do you really want to know where we're at right now? I can tell you just kind of where we're at. We had a good year. This wasn't a great year. It was a good year. Uh, we met our goals. And as turn, these are the bonuses or whatever you do as a thank you. Right. Um, and our goals are to, to obviously build on this because if we can do this, we know we can do something better. Right. And just, just transitioning the conversation to honor them with the fact that you trust them, that they're, mm. they're people that you care about. So let them understand what they're doing and that there's a financial impact to it. One of the biggest right. comments that you make to nurses in any setting is, and this is going to go to everybody in, it, it's better with EMRs as it used to be, but I'll tell you, I know that a lot of your techs and a lot of your staff are not taking advantage of this. And I'm speaking to all of the practice administrators right now. If you don't take anything from what I'm saying, if you just remember this, tell your staff this, take credit for the care you provide. And what that means is take credit. So chart on what you're doing because we get paid on charting. We get paid on what we actually do. So by not charting something, you're not taking credit for what you've provided. And in turn, I don't know that you actually did the work. Right. It's everywhere that I've gone and done any consulting with, even in medical spas, Jesse, it is a huge financial burden. The staff are actually doing the work. The, the business is not getting paid for it. And so there's a huge problem there. Well, good. Well, Josh, I appreciate you being on here. And I, I thank you for, for helping us see that treating people well is just good business, right? Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, thank you for that. Listeners, I encourage you just to take that lesson to heart and implement it in your practice and see, you know, the difference that that makes. Okay. Well, Josh, thanks again for, for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I hope it, it's worth something for somebody. All right on. Thanks for tuning into the MedMan podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's featured guest. For the show notes, transcripts, resources, and everything else MedMan does to help you level up, be sure to visit us at medman.com.